Well, my text tonight is taken from Jeremiah and chapter 17 and the first verse. Jeremiah the prophet pleads with the people, the nation of Judah. They were an immensely privileged people. But as he says here, sins indelible mark is written upon their heart. This might sound to be a negative message, it's not. Before we come to the gospel, before we have our hearts opened, we need to understand what God says about us, about the lives that we've lived, about the thoughts that we've had, the deeds we've done, the words that we've spoken. And so we see here Jeremiah's wonderful metaphor. It's a picture about our hearts. But before we get to that, let me explain to you what this means by Judah. Judah, the sin of Judah. Judah is used in the Word of God about a place, what we might call Israel, Although that's much in the news, the word Israel has been, the borders have been moved around, but Judah is another short form for Israel. It's also a nation, a people, and it's also a kingdom. And so that's what we mean here by Judah. Judah was one of the twelve children of Jacob, or Israel as he was later named, one of the Jews who had a tribe named after him, the tribe of Judah. They were a privileged tribe, a tribe that knew the great blessing of God over many years, but they were a tribe which somewhat left their privileges. Again and again and again, God had to send prophets to speak to them, to plead with them, and he had to plead with them to come back to see their own personal sin and the sin of the nation. But Judah, there are more things written in the book of Genesis about Joseph. We always think of Joseph's life. Joseph, the one that went ahead to Egypt when there was to be a famine. But really the history of the whole of Israel, it's really about Judah, not Joseph. Judah is the one through whom would come King David. And through David would come the Lord Jesus Christ. The significance of Joseph's life as a deliverer was that Judah was preserved. So that through Judah would come the solution, the only solution, the only remedy for my sin and your sin, Judah. It didn't seem to start well for Judah. Do you remember the time when Joseph was thrown into the pit? His brothers wanted to get rid of him, but it was Judah that stood up and he didn't want there to be a murder. He said, what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal our blood? Genesis 37, 25. Come. Let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. Judah didn't want death. He was even then interceding 
speaking on behalf of his brother. He didn't want there to be blood. Later on, you know the whole history, sure it's familiar. There was the need for Benjamin to be sent to Egypt. Judah knew it would break the heart of their aged father, Jacob. And so Judah, Judah, the fourth child, says, I will stay. I will go in his place. I will be the substitute. I will stand where he should stand. And you know that speaks to us in a very powerful way of the son of Judah, the lion of the tribe of Judah, which is Christ. Christ Jesus that says, I will stand in your place. You deserve to die because of your sin. Your life is at risk, but I will go instead of you. He interceded and he was to be a substitute. Judah, Judah whose very life had such a messy part to it, he ended up being a father to the children of his own daughter-in-law, Tamar. They were to have twins. This was to be the beginning of an extraordinary change in Judah's life, which led to him being willing to be the substitute. Well, this people Judah, an immensely privileged people, given the promise of a Messiah, of a Saviour, given so many powerful signs and wonders and evidences that God is God, that he is the maker of us all, a people that were protected from enemies again and again, and they were provided for, and they had such a unique history, so many twists, so many turns, and we see what's unfolding today in Palestine and Israel as being the consequence of what we read here in Bible times. Well, there are many examples, and we could turn to them, but we don't have time. But we can say that Judah was a privileged people, and we have many here tonight. You've had a chapel upbringing. You've been to Sunday school. You've had the Word of God in your life, in your parents' lives, and you've had great privileges. And Judah is being spoken to here in this verse, let's read it again, as a privileged people. This is what Jeremiah says, the sin of Judah. Judah, the privileged people, is written with a pen of iron and with the point of a diamond. It is engraven, graven upon the table of their heart. Judah. Judah that had the truth. Judah that had the promise of a saviour. And yet their sin is so great. All sin is great. But their sin has accumulated through their lives, through the history of their nation. 
And now it comes to the time that the Lord once more sends a prophet, Jeremiah, to plead with them, to plead with them that they would see and feel and know their own sin. And so he uses this metaphor. What does it mean, this metaphor? A metaphor is a picture, a picture to help us to understand some of the characteristics of something which is a bit intangible. It's not so easy to talk about sin, so we have it described in different ways. The Bible says sin is like a disease. It's like leprosy. It spreads, it's contagious. Sin is like darkness. Sin is like a stain that you can't get out of your clothing no matter how hard you try to wash it. Sin is described as foolishness because we're very often sinning against knowledge and against light. Sin is described as a debt that we can't repay, a debt that grows and grows and grows like the debt of the United States of America. It just ticks over and gets bigger and bigger all the time. Sin is like slavery, chains. But the picture here is that each time you and I sin, it's as though there's writing going on in our hearts. Before we come to Christ, we have a hard heart. Our heart is like stone, like granite, or like metal. And on that heart is written with a pen. The pen is made of iron. And the tip of that pen has got a small diamond on it. Well, I think I'm not speaking out of foolishness. I might be. Somebody will correct me later. But I think it's still true that they use diamonds for drilling. If they need to drill on something very hard, the point of the drill tip will be a diamond to engrave in a way that that engraving won't come off. And that's the picture. Well, this speaks to us about sin. I need to say some things about sin, and then we'll come to the remedy. So why is sin like writing upon a tablet of granite? Well, it's a habit, isn't it? Do you know when you get involved in some sin, let's take lying, a little lie, a little exaggeration, a little what we call badly a white lie, a little half-truth, and then it gets more and more, and as soon as you make one lie, very often, because we all do this, or did once, we have to lie more to cover up the first lie when we're exposed. You do this with children. You look into their eyes and you say, is that the truth? And you see the head go down and there's another lie. You see, it's a habit. And the worst sins create the worst of habits. Sin is like handwriting in our own hearts. Look at what it says in verse 9, in this famous verse, one of those verses that puts it so bluntly, the heart is deceitful. It tricks us. 
It lies to us. Above all things, my heart, your heart, before it's changed, it lies to us. It tells us we're better than we are. It tells us we're okay. We're better than others. It lies. Well, sin is no accident, is it? Have you ever written an essay by accident? You try writing on granite something that's legible and that can be seen and understood. It requires the will. Every time we sin, there is the will involved. We're making a choice. We're using the mind. We're choosing to step over the line that God has said this far, no further. Sin, like writing in the heart, it's deliberate. Do you know as well, sin creates a memory. When you want to remember somebody's life, what do we have? A gravestone. Sometimes the gravestones, they go faint, but if you use a, a hard piece of granite for hundreds of years, the writing can be seen. I think I've mentioned this before. I was called to the bedside of a man in Bedford Hospital a couple of years ago. He had hours to live, but he had a memory of his own sin on his heart, and he had to try to get it off. That memory wouldn't go. I didn't know him. I never saw him again, but he had to tell somebody. I think he thought I was a kind of priest, which I'm not. But he had to tell somebody because his memory had had his sin engraven. He told me about multiple thefts in his teenage years. And that wasn't his only sin, of course. But sin creates a permanent memory. It scars the conscience so that we know what we've done. And then at the end of this verse, it says this curious term, upon the horns of your altars. That means when with our heart we worship and we all worship something or someone, the people of Judah, their worship has been of idols. Their worship has been of false gods. And that creates a sin written upon the tablets of our heart, which we can't erase. You look at all the accumulation of the sin in our life, what are you going to do with it? Are you going to go to a therapist? A priest? Is there a doctor that can get rid of your sin record written indelibly on your own heart? I'm sorry, but it won't work. Let me just try to illustrate how sin is something that gets worse and worse and worse. You know in the Bible that the Samaritans and the Jews, they didn't get on too well. What do we see today unfolding in the news? Thousands of years, sin, hatred, animosity has built up. I remember once hearing from a pastor of a church down in Kent, 
But he knocked on a lady's door and he invited her to come to chapel to hear the gospel. And she said, no, I won't go. Why is that? Well, somebody from your chapel said something to me I didn't like 38 years ago. And so I will never go to that chapel. Not while I live. You see, sin creates a memory. We take offense. It builds up, builds up, builds up. Is there any hope? If you read this verse alone, the sin of Judah is written with a pen of iron and with the point of a diamond it is engraven upon my heart. Is there any hope? Well, if we stop there, there wouldn't be much hope. But there is hope. Go down to verse 13. O Lord, the hope of Israel. The hope of Israel. There's hope tonight. If somebody here, if you feel your own personal sin, don't come and tell me about it. But if you know your sin and you feel your sin and you see it accumulating in your life and up until now there's been no remedy, the lines are written out on your heart, there's hope tonight. O Lord, the hope of Israel, even from the beginning, Genesis 3.15, there was always hope. You see, God knew that there would be this terrible scar upon the world that would cause the world wars, the conflicts, the marriage breakdowns, the animosity, the hatred, the evil. And he sent the remedy, the hope of Israel. And the hope was in Judah. Through Judah, the people that had sinned terribly, there was hope. This hope was in a man, the Lord Jesus Christ. I'd like you to turn, the only other text that we'll turn to tonight, to Colossians and chapter 2 and verse 14. We see this figure of speech taken up wonderfully by the Apostle Paul. These are very powerful words. We shall read Colossians chapter 2. And verse 13 and 14. This is the picture in verse 13 of a person whose heart is hard and their sin has been written, engraven upon their heart. Verse 13, Colossians 2. And you, being dead in your sins and the uncleanness, the uncircumcision of your flesh. That's the person who's not a Christian, who hasn't yet been forgiven of their sin. They're dead. They have no hope. But God has quickened, brought life through his Son, Jesus Christ, together with him, having forgiven you all your trespasses. Here's the verse, verse 14. Follow this carefully blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. And it repeats the same term, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it 
to his cross. Let me just explain very quickly. Blotting out, to obliterate, to remove, to erase all the handwriting that you wrote as you sinned upon your heart, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to take it away. There won't be one mark of sin left for each that he gives life to, blotting out the handwriting, the choices that you and I have made that have broken God's laws. We all know our own sin. Some of them are common. Some of them are specific to us. Blotting out, removing, erasing, deleting the handwriting, the choices that we've made of ordinances, God's orders and decrees, his laws, his commandments. He said, thou shalt not. He's also said, you shall. And our sin is just, not just what we don't do, it's what we do do. The ordinances. And then this twice repeated term that was against us. You can imagine. There's the granite tablet being read out on the day of judgment. It's huge. The handwriting is so small and all the sin that I've ever done, it's going to be read out and it's against me. I've got no excuse. I can't blame anyone else because God knows that I did it. It's against me. And then, in case we've missed the point, it's contrary to us, like a wind blowing in the face. It's against us. But here's the wonderful term. Just look at it. You may have missed it. And took it. Here's my sin. It stands in my path, out of the way. My path to heaven is blocked. It's blocked by the record of sin that's doubly against me. And Christ comes to your heart tonight. He says, I took it. If you're one of my children, if you will turn to me, I have taken your sin. Do you notice it's in the past tense? And took it once. It was the death of deaths. No longer do we need to come and pay penance, as the Roman Catholic Church teach. No longer do we have to have a mass to kill Christ again. He took it. It stood in the way, my sin. It blocked the way to heaven. No way, no entry. And Christ took it out of the way. How did he do that? He nailed it to the cross. Those words mean far more than we can ever understand. My sin was nailed through the hands and the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. It means he took the punishment. It means he stood in my place. He was the Judah for me.
He was my substitute. It was nailed to him. Nailed to his cross. Somehow in those six hours that Christ was on the cross, three hours of light, three hours of darkness, my sin and the sins of many here tonight was nailed to him. And that means it's been satisfied. Somebody has to pay the penalty for my sin. It will either be me in judgment away from God in hell if I'm unforgiven or as it says here, for those who've been given life, who he has quickened, who he has forgiven all their trespasses, verse 13, and the handwriting and the choices of their life has been blotted out, erased. What was indelible has been removed because it's been nailed to Jesus Christ. Why him? Because he was the only perfect man. He had to be God and man. He had to be God so he could be perfect. He had to be man so he could suffer like us. As my substitute. If he was just God, how would he know what it was like to be human? And if he was just human, how could he bear the sins of all the people? that he went to the cross to die for. But he took it. He took it out of the way. Is your sin in your way tonight? Is your record against you? Doubly against you? We have a hymn that we sing. You might turn to it if you don't know the words. It's 221. It's a hymn of Philip Bliss. Some hymn books, they didn't like the first line of the tune of, of the hymn, and so they gave it the name of the final line of the hymn. Man of Sorrows, what a name. For the Son of God who came, ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah, what a Saviour. Bearing shame, my shame, scoffing rude, in my place, condemned, he stood. I should have been condemned. My sin was against me. My record is inexcusable. But he stood in my place, and he was condemned by being nailed to two pieces of wood. In my place condemned he stood, sealed my pardon with his blood. Where did the blood come from? It came from the nails. And then it came from the spear that was thrust into his side to ensure that he was dead. The next verse, guilty, vile, and helpless we, spotless Lamb of God was he, full atonement. Can it be? Hallelujah. What a Saviour.
you have a sin record tonight. If you don't know Christ, don't excuse it. Don't hide it. Don't run from it. Don't blame it on somebody else. You wrote it with a pen with indelible marks. Do you know those pens that they used to have? And the writing would disappear. And then you could put something on it, a light maybe, but your sin doesn't disappear unless the hope of Israel, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the solution came from the tribe that had committed the sin. And in that we see Jesus Christ, the only hope, the hope of Israel tonight, our dear Saviour, come to him. Ask him to remove the record of your sin tonight. Go to him in prayer. Get down on your knees before you sleep tonight and say to him, Lord, cleanse my heart. In my place, condemned, he stood. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank Thee that in all the trouble in the world there is a trouble which is even worse for us in our own heart. And day by day it builds up. The writing is writ large. O oh, gracious God, be our Saviour tonight. May many run to Christ. May many find new life in the Lord Jesus Christ. May he take our sin, our punishment, and be our substitute tonight so that we might have the forgiveness of sin, a new life and a new heart made of flesh that feels and loves what is good. We ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen.